You guys are very nice. Thank you. I love Jubilee. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me come back. It's great to be back here. Jubilee is one of my favorite places to go. It's been, I think, my fifth time now to come and share my heart with you. And uh, it's been about seven years now that I've been in a relationship with John and his family and with you. And before I say anything, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't even know if you know. But yeah, you support many missionaries around the world, and I am one of them. And uh, many of, a couple of my friends as well are supported full-time by Jubilee. I just want to say thank you. Maybe you wonder, like, what's going on, you know, when we give or where is it going? Yeah, on a very personal level, yeah, just thank you. What you guys do and what you've done in my own life is just such a real blessing. Well, it's great to be back here today. And uh, just a brief announcement. I did bring my books. Many of you probably already have seen them. Um, imprisoned in Iran. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the ending, but I heard he gets out. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, yeah, you know, I, <clears throat> yeah, I uh, put the title of the book Imprisoned in Iran because I was imprisoned in Iran. So um, I have a second book called The Beautiful Way. And uh, those are not my feet. <laughs> I don't know whose they are. But uh, I brought those here today. I'm actually working on a third book. And uh, so that'll probably be out by the end of the year. Um, yeah, it's just a privilege to be with you. Again, a brief story about myself um, and my family. I come from Southern California. I'm blessed with a wonderful mom and dad. My dad is a carpenter. My mom was a housewife. And my older sister heard of this thing called Youth with a Mission. And she decided to go try it out for six months. Well, that was over 30 years ago, and she never left. <laughs> and uh, my older sister and her husband and their two kids are pioneering YWAM in Nepal and India. We have over 400 full-time workers in YWAM Nepal. We have over 1,500 full-time workers in YWAM in India right now. And so that's my older sister. I've been in YWAM for 24 years. My... <clears throat> My younger sister has now been in YWAM for 21 years. Her heart is to work in church planning among Kashmiris in the north, uh, northern India in the northwest corner. So that's her story. So all three kids joined YWAM and went international. <laughs> so mom and dad are like, what are we going to do? So they said, if we ever want to see our kids, we have to join YWAM. <laughs> so they joined YWAM. <clears throat> The way into YWAM is a discipleship training school. It's a six-month course. So my parents did that, and they joined. My dad has passed away now, but my mom is currently working on staff in Kona, Hawaii. I, as well, am currently working on staff in Kona, Hawaii right now. We have a kind of our biggest training center for YWAM in Kona. It's kind of interesting when you walk with God. You know, sometimes... Guidance seems really, really clear, and sometimes it's a little foggy. <laughs> when God said to go to Hawaii, I just felt peace right away. <laughs> I don't know how that really works, but I didn't even need confirmation, you know? It just felt so good. Um, <clears throat> but yes, if you hear anything about the history of YWAM, yeah, it was, it's, we have a long history in Kona, Hawaii. I don't know about if you know, but your church over the last couple of years has sent teams of workers 
to Kona, Hawaii to help us with our building. We're in a wonderful season in Kona. We're getting about 500 students a year, a quarter, I'm sorry. Yeah, and coming through our campus is the most we've ever had. And uh, with that, we have about 60 acres, and we're starting to build on that. Well, this last year, we got an anonymous $5 million plus donation. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> so what we've done is we've really started a fresh surge yeah, into building projects for more dormitories and fresh innovation stuff. We're really big uh, on our campus as well into all kinds of innovative areas of how to do missions in, the <clears throat> in this day and age. And so, yeah, we're going to build some new projects for that. So that's just a little bit about YWAM Kona. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm doing really well, for those of you who know me. Um, I love this theme, destinations. <laughs> I love it. Um, I've been a few places, so <laughs> it's fun for me to come with this kind of a theme. I don't know if you're hearing all the stories of what God's doing around the world, but God is doing good things. He really is doing good things. In our own life there in, uh, in Kona, Hawaii, we're sending teams all over. One of our teams last fall, we sent a team to Oman. I don't know if you know where Oman is in the Gulf uh, near Saudi Arabia. We had a team there for seven days. In the country of Oman, there's two million people and less than one or two known followers of Jesus, like virtually nothing. So our team was there. One morning, our team woke up, and as they woke up, they started to pray. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit told Kat, the leader, we should make scriptures in Arabic and go to the mall. If you know anything about that part of the world where you hang out is the mall, because <laughs> it's so hot. And yeah, let's give them to people. So they started praying, and they started writing these scriptures out. When she got to the mall, she's walking around the mall, and she felt like God said, go talk to this girl at the counter. So she goes and talks to this girl at the counter. Now, this girl was a very strict Muslim, you know, with a full covering and everything. And she started to talk to her. And she's like, oh, thank you for this scripture. This is really nice. She's like, yeah, I just would love to talk to you about Jesus. And she's like, well, I want you to meet my sister. She's like, okay. <laughs> So they get phone numbers and they exchange it. Two weeks later, she meets with this, the sister of this girl that she had met. And this was her story. She said, yeah, my story. I grew up in a very radical Muslim family that had a lot of connections to animism, a lot of uh, Islam coming from Africa. And with that came a lot of witchcraft in our family where our father, my father actually tried to put me on the altar and burn me as a sacrifice as a little kid. And my older sister saw this. She grabbed me and saved my life. And for my whole life, me and my sister have been ostracized by my family because of, uh, yeah, that we're not really into all the witchcraft that they do in, in, inside of their is Islamic practice. And then she said this. She's like, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about, Kat. It was a few years ago, I was sitting in my bedroom, and Jesus walked into my room. <laughs> and as Jesus walked into my room, it was the most loving, the most wonderful, the most gracious man I've ever, ever met in my life. I had about a 15-minute encounter with him, and when he left, he said, just wait a few years, I'm going to send someone into your life to tell you more about who I am. <laughs> 
and today you're sitting next to me. <laughs> She's like, can you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> and Kat's like, I would love to. <clears throat> Go God. I love it. Um, yeah, we just sent an outreach to Japan uh, last year. Five years in a row, we sent an outreach to this one city where we never had any fruit. Our last outreach there, we saw seven people give their lives to Jesus. <laughs> We're seeing fruit in all areas of the world. In my own life, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of traveling, as you know, and some of the big destinations in my life. <clears throat> as you know, if you know me, yeah, I have a big interest in the Muslim world. And a little while ago, it was two years ago in March, um, God began to speak to me that he wanted me to go visit Saudi Arabia. And I don't know how much you know about Saudi Arabia. It's kind of not talked about. You never go there. There's usually a lot of fear about Saudi Arabia. But for those of us who work in the Muslim world, yeah, Saudi Arabia is kind of like uh, the special place, you know? Like you kind of want to get there once in your life. Well, God spoke to me in March that he wanted me to go in June to Saudi Arabia. So I called a friend of mine who was also interested in going. I said, can you pray with me? He said, said yeah, let's pray. After a few weeks, he got the same word. He's like, yeah, I think we're supposed to go in June. I'm like, okay, so how do you get to Saudi Arabia? Well, the only way into the country is to be invited in from inside by the government or by a business. So... I didn't know anyone there. I have one friend who knew anyone in the country, so I email him. I'm like, do you have any contacts? You told me you did. He's like, yeah, here's one email of a friend of mine. So I email this guy and say, yeah, we want to come visit your country. Is there any way that we could do that? We need help getting visas. And we don't hear anything from him. This is April, May. In the beginning of June, out of the blue, this guy writes me an email and says, I've heard you want to come visit our country. I run a big business here. If you want to come, let me know. I'll get you the visas and everything will be taken care of and you can come right away. <laughs> um, so I call my friend. I'm like, God said to go in June and now we've got this invite in the beginning of June. So another friend of mine, another young guy <clears throat> from our base decided to go. And so we decided to, yeah, go ahead with this trip. Now, my friend, one of these friends was actually traveling overseas. So we decided to rendezvous in Dubai. And as time came closer and closer for this trip, we did not get any more contact from this guy in Saudi Arabia. He was getting us a visa, but where would we live? What would we do? Where, you know, what would we actually be involved with while we were there? We had no idea. But as we started to pray, we were like feeling that God was saying, Dan, I want you to go even if you don't know the final destination. I want you to step out on what you're feeling, on what you're sensing, even if you don't know how it's all going to pan out. So we went. We met in Dubai. <laughs> We bought our tickets to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. The night before we left, we got an email from this man. He said, my driver will pick you up at the airport tomorrow. <laughs> that is the first knowledge we ever had that anyone would take care of us, that anyone would know we're coming. We get to the airport, and this man picks us up in a 2010 Infiniti SUV. <laughs> I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> 
He drives us to a Marriott, the nicest hotel in the city. We're like, that's nice. <laughs> and as we get to the hotel, he's like, Samir, this friend of <clears throat> ours, he tells us that he's in the country, he's glad that you're here, and he want him, wants to meet you tonight. And that's the first knowledge we have, that he's in the country and that he could host us. Later that night, he comes. He's in his 60s. He's got this white shirt on. It's open down to here with a lot of hair. And he's got this, you know, gold chains and a stogie. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and he cruises on in. He sits down in the lobby. He said, welcome to Saudi Arabia. Why did you come? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to write another book, you know, <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I'm just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking, what should I say? What should I say? And I felt like God said, go relational, go relational. So I looked at him, and I mentioned our mutual friend. He's like, oh, so you love Jesus. I'm like, that's a good word, you know, <laughs> like, okay. So I'm like, uh, yes, I love Jesus. He's like, okay, well, why did you come here? And all of a sudden, I just felt God say, be honest, be honest. I said, sir, we have no agenda but to talk to you about Jesus. We came here because of Jesus. We love Jesus. We want to tell you about Jesus. We want to tell everybody, all your friends about Jesus. We felt that God told us in March to come here in June. Out of the blue, in the beginning of June, you invited us. We're here now at the end of June, so we believe God wants us here. We want to talk to you about Jesus. We have no other agenda. And I'm like, am I going straight to prison? <laughs> you know? He's a prominent Muslim businessman. After that, he looks at me and says, that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good thing to hear. You know? <laughs> He's like, how about we go to the beach tomorrow? I'm like, the beach? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. The next day, he picks us up in a 2010 Mercedes 500 series. I'm like, who is this guy? We go to the beach, and the beach was just like any beach here in Colorado or in California. Three shut, three gates to get in. Behind those three gates, yeah, all the Islamic stuff that we would see on TV is gone. <laughs> and men and women are there at the beach, just like any beach in the world. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So as we're sitting there swimming in the Red Sea, my friend says, uh, tonight I'm having all my friends over for dinner, and I want you to come. I'm like, okay. He, yeah, you said you wanted to tell my friends about Jesus. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> so we get there for dinner. There's a couple architects, a couple doctors, and then there's this guy from the head of the Muslim League, one of the leading imams or leaders of Islam in all of Saudi Arabia from Mecca, retired. He had been working in Mecca for 50 years. And then there was this man who was, <clears throat> who was uh, a retired general of the Saudi army. They're all sitting in this room, <laughs> and, and me, you know, and my friends. After dinner, they look at us and they say this. Our host says, these are my new friends from America. They have come here to uh, tell us all about Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, what? 
You know, and I'm just like, what is going on? And then he says this. He says, in March, God told these men that in June, they were supposed to come to Saudi Arabia. Out of the blue, I invited them here in the beginning of June. So they're here now at the end of June. So I think they hear from God. So Dan, teach us how to hear from God. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) And for two hours, I told them all about Yeah, all about Jesus and how to hear from God. After that time, we went back to the house. This time was a 700 series BMW. (laughs) I remember the next day running on a treadmill at at the Marriott. My staff who was with me was 20 years old. He's running with me on the next treadmill. And he's like, dude, I love missions. (laughs) I'm like, dude, it's not always this nice. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I kind of thought that, you know. (laughs) Yeah. We hung out with Samir that whole day. I began to ask him some challenging questions. I'm like, Samir, you seem really friendly towards Jesus. He goes, I love Jesus with all my heart. I believe in who he is. I believe that he died and rose again. I believe that, yeah, he died for my sins. I believe he's, the, you know, part of the Trinity. I'm like, uh, you're saying things that not all your Muslim friends would agree with. <laughs> he's like, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness. And it turns out that this man had a wonderful, wonderful relationship with Jesus. Fully, fully had given his life to Jesus there there in that place. Also found out that he had over 10,000 employees, was worth about $500 million. (laughs) The last morning I got up, and I felt like God said, Dan, ask me for more. I'm like, God, you've done so much more than I could ever ask or, or imagine. And God's like, ask me for more. I'm like, God, yeah, I'd like to actually sit with his family and sit with his family and tell them all about Jesus. That afternoon, he called us. It was our last day in the country. He says, you're coming to my house tonight to watch the World Cup. We're like, yes, sir. When a guy has that many employees, you do what he says, you know? We get to his house, we watch the World Cup, and at about midnight, he looks at me and says this. He says, now I want you to come into my living room, and I want you to meet my family and tell us all about Jesus. And I got to spend from midnight until three in the morning talking to his entire family all about Jesus. When we think about the destinations of this earth, when we think about places that are super hard or super crazy or they're nowhere they'll ever be reached, oh, that we would know that we would know that there is no closed countries to God. There is no countries that we can't go to. There are no countries that are, oh, that place. And in terms of safety, that's one of the big challenges we have in our life. Where's the safest place to be? Right here. (laughs) The safest place to be in this world is right where Jesus wants you to be. Right where Jesus wants you to be. And I've gotten to see God's protection in my life over and over and over and over again. I could tell you so many stories of God's protection as I've walked with him around this world. One of the craziest moments was in Afghanistan. I used to work in an eye clinic 
And we used to take clinics out into the mountainside to provide eye care for the villages. There was this one time where I was walking with my group of 15 Afghan doctors and nurses. We're on a hike, probably 12 or 13,000 feet up. And as we're hiking, there comes a point in the hike where I'm at the back. And all of a sudden, I tripped and I fell. And as I tripped and I fell, I didn't think much of it. There was a clear trail. But I couldn't find anything to grab. I couldn't find anything to grab onto. And the next thing I knew, I started to slide down the side, and I realized I had been at the precipice of a huge boulder that where the trail was, and I had actually fallen down the side. Well, as I started to fall down the side, I'm like, okay, what's going on? And at first, it's not a big deal. Okay, I got to find a way to brace myself. Well, I started to gain speed. And as I started to gain speed, all of a sudden I realized I was sliding down this boulder, and at the bottom of the boulder was at least a thousand foot drop into a dry riverbed. And I'm sliding down this mountain, I'm trying frantically to find something to grab. I realize that I'm gonna die. <laughs> And I remember this point as I couldn't find anything. My feet start dangling over the edge. <laughs> and I remember as my feet are dangling over the edge, my first thought was, <laughs> Jesus, forgive me of my sins. <laughs> I don't know if you need to do that. <laughs> hey, it doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> doesn't hurt, you know? And I remember that moment just looking up and going, Jesus, and I swang like this. <laughs> and I literally grabbed three blades of grass coming out of a tiny little crack like this of the stone, and I grabbed onto them with one hand. Yeah, they can't hold me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I grabbed these three blades of grass, and I started to swing. And they totally helped. And as I'm swinging, I start to catch my breath. And as I catch my breath for about a minute and realize I'm not dead, I look to the left and I saw a huge crack in the stone and I shove my hand in there. Then I saw another one and I shove my hand in there. And then another one and I shove my hand in there. And I'm able to climb back up to the trail. Go God. That is not the end of the story. Three years later, I'm at a YWAM conference in Colorado Springs. A friend of mine from Brazil comes up to me. She's like, Dan, was your life ever in danger three years ago? I'm like, uh, yes, I should have died. <laughs> She's like, what happened? I said, I fell off a cliff and I should have died. She's like, do you know the day? I said, Yes, I know the day, and I, <clears throat> I figured out the day. And she's like, do you know the hour? I said, yeah, it was right after lunch. She pulls out her prayer journal. And at that exact hour, she's sleeping in Brazil, and the Holy Spirit wakes her up and tells her, and I, I read the journal for myself, pray right now for Dan, for angels to save his life, because he's about to die. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thanks for praying. <laughs> I love Afghan angels. I love Afghan angels. <laughs> yeah. 
When we think of destinations around the world, there's so many things that get in, in, in our heart, <clears throat> like, ah, oh, what about the safety, or what about this, or what about that? But I found in my journey of walking with Jesus that Jesus is enough no matter where he calls us to go, no matter what he calls us to do. And as I thought about this <clears throat> today, thinking about destinations, I've, I've realized that so many times as we think of these, you know, where we're going to go, there is obviously another question. What are you going to do when you get there? <laughs> and many times I focus so much on where I'm going that I kind of forget what I'm going to do when I get there. <laughs> And uh, as I've been walking with the Lord, there's a scripture that has so radically helped me in this. I want us to read it together. I think it's going to come up on the screen. But it's Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What does it mean that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments? What it basically means that everything we're supposed to do in this life is love God and love people. <laughs> and I'm beginning to discover that no matter where my destination is, whether it's across the world, whether it's across the street, the issue is, what am I going to do when I get there? I want to love God and love people. So much of my life I have focused on, okay, my calling is where I'm going. No, 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 no. My calling is to love God and love people. Our calling is really to love him and love everybody else around us. So many times I've had a focus of it being, no, 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 it's, <clears throat> it's over there. No, 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 it's about where I'm going or what I'm going to do. The Christian life, it's not about where we're going or what we're going to do. It's about who we're getting to know. The Christian life is about falling so in love with Jesus that wherever we go and whatever we're doing, the natural overflow is loving him and loving everybody else. And really, as I think of destinations, man, that has so been life-giving to me. Well, nowhere in my life did it become more real than when I was imprisoned in Iran. I've shared that story here before, but there's a part of that story that really challenged me in terms of loving people. Me and my friend had been traveling in that part of the world. We had been beaten, taken into prison in Iran two death sentences on my life. And I remember the first day when I began to become uh, challenged with everything. There was one man who was uh, always beating me. And I remember on this day when this man began to beat me, God began to challenge me. He's like, Dan, I want you to love your enemies. And I remember thinking, man, now is not a good time to learn that. <laughs> there was one man who beat me every day when I was in prison. And as the first day I was there, God began to challenge me. And I remember that day so clear because what was on my mind was me. <laughs> Wait a minute, God, no, life's about me right now. And God switches the topic and he's like, Dan, what about loving that guy? And man, that was so hard. 
And I remember as I waited there before God, God asked me another question. He's like, Dan, ask me what I think about him. And I'm like, I don't really want to. (laughs) But I did. And as I asked God about this man, all of a sudden everything inside of me shifted. It wasn't about me anymore. I began to have a vision of this man and his family and how God totally, totally loved him. How God was completely consumed with love for this man and love for his kids and wanting to bless this man except for one challenge. This man didn't know it. And as God began to shift my heart, all of a sudden I began to realize, God, you really love him. And God spoke to me. He's like, Dan, you have no idea. And I'm like, God, change my heart, change my heart. And all I can say is God did a miracle in my heart. And by the grace of God, I began to love this man. Over my time in prison, every time I saw him, he would beat me up. After my friend was released and I continued on in prison, I'll never forget the last day I saw this man. They took me into the interrogation room. There were bloodstains on the floor, and I'm standing there, and I knew he was going to beat me on that day. And as I stood there, all I can tell you is the grace of God came on me. But I looked at him on that day, and I said this. I said, sir, if I'm going to see you the rest of my life, let's be friends. He's like, what? (laughs) I'm like, we see each other every day. Let's be friends. Why not? He's like, you're crazy. I'm like, sir, let's be friends. And I took my hand out of my pocket, and I stuck it across the room like this. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, you can start by telling me your name. He had never told me his name because that was not allowed. He had never called me by my name because that was not allowed. And I stuck my hand out to him to shake his hand. I said, let's be friends. And I waited. As I waited, he started to shake. After about five minutes, he pulled his hand out of his pocket. He shoved it across the room to me, and he grabbed my hand, and he gripped it really, really tight. He held my hand tight for five or ten minutes. He wouldn't let go. And then all of a sudden, tears started to flow down his face. And he finally looks at me and he says this. He says, my name is Razak, and I would love to be your friend. There is no heart to heart for Jesus. He can change the hardest heart. He finally started to wipe the tears from his eyes. And he looked at me and he said this. He's like, Dan, I'm so sorry. I can't get you out of this prison. But within the prison, I have some connection over the the guys who run the night shift. I have some authority over them. Would you like me to get something for you? I was in isolation in a little cell. And I'm like, how about a bigger room? (laughs) He's like, all right, let me see what I can do. <laughs> yeah. I have never seen that man again in my life. Never seen him again. Later that night, the guards came to my room, and they told me, gather all your things, sir. We're moving you to a bigger cell. And I knew that God had changed 
that man's heart. Yeah, because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And as we think about the destination that God's going to call us, Oh, that we would not forget. The real issue is not so much where we're going. The real issue is that when we get up out of bed, when we wake up, when we go, whatever we're doing, that we walk and live in this place of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving everybody else all around us. And the more I began began to figure this out, I began to realize, yeah, Actually, that is the destination. The actual destination is to know him and to make him known. The actual destination is to let him love us, fall in love with him, and then go and share that love with whoever we're around. And I, <clears throat> when I was there in prison is where I learned it in the most radical way. Yeah. God might never call you to a radical destination, he, you know, in terms of all over the world. God might never call you to go very far, but what he's called all of us to do is to go go to our friends, go to the coffee shops, go to the areas around us and live in that place of loving him and loving people. And maybe you think, well, that's not such a crazy or radical destination. When I begin to realize that it's actually not about the destination so much, as much as it is about who we're getting to know and about sharing the love of God wherever we are, then that becomes the focus, not where we are. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you are moving all over the world. I thank you, God, today that I can come to my friends here at Jubilee and testify that you are moving, God. You're moving in Saudi Arabia. You're moving in Afghanistan. You're moving in Oman, God. You're moving in so many of these countries that it's so closed, so hard, yet you're doing something really, really good. Thank you, God, yeah, for all the destinations you're going to call us to, God. But I pray, God, that wherever you call us to go, God, that we would be a people that really wherever we go and whatever we're doing would first and foremost love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love everybody else just the same. And God, give us the grace not only to do that, but to go the extra mile and to love our enemies, to love those that are hard to love, to love those that, yeah, that we just want to avoid. I thank you, God, for what you did in transforming that man's life there in that prison cell as you gave me the grace to love him. And I pray, God, that we would be a people that would be able to reach out and love the unlovable, love the hurting, and to love those around us, God. We sure do love you, Jesus. We sure do love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.